Colossians. We're going to cover some verses today. And I want to say thank you. This past week has been awfully busy. We had a funeral on Monday morning. We had a funeral on Tuesday afternoon. We've had church on Wednesday. We have just been uh, running uh, a lot of things this week. I thank you for your support, you ladies and gentlemen who help with meals and service. And I will tell you, I preached about 30 minutes in that first service on Monday, and I was exhausted. Um, one of the things I learned that pain will take your energy. And so uh, I uh, trust I'll be good with this today. Maybe I could, because, uh, because I am uh, give out quickly, maybe we'll have a shorter message. I know there's some things there is no hope in, right? Let me tell you something right quick. I told my doctor after a major surgery a couple of months ago, he said, you'll be down a couple of days and then you'll turn back and be off. And I, I guess I took him literally. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know. Anyway, about two weeks later, I hobbled in and got in a wheelchair and all that. And I was enjoying all the recovery time. And I told him, I said, let me tell you something, doctor. And he said, yes, sir. And I said, I've learned that when a doctor says you'll be back or down a couple of days, it means the same thing when a pastor says in closing it means absolutely nothing. <laughs> and his comment was, Pastor, we may have taken some, he said, we may have done surgery, but we did not move, remove your sense of humor. <laughs> I trust it's true. I thank you for being people of the word. I want to be very practical this morning. I want you to listen on purpose. I ask you not to be coming in and going out. I'll try to be brief. But I want to reach into your hearts, whether you're young, middle-aged, or old, and I want to talk to you about the most practical things that I think are extremely necessary in the society and the generation in which we live. So please don't let your mind wander. Please listen. It's something I've thought about, frankly, literally for months. Colossians in the New Testament chapter 3 is where we'll begin our reading today with the Word of God. It's imperative that we, how many of you believe this book? Chapter 3 of Colossians, I'll cover it in just a minute, but I will tell you the entire chapter is literally a practical instruction through the Spirit of God on Paul the Apostle of how to genuinely live a holy life. Not in theory, not in some religious form, but in practicality. Let's read. I'm going to read chapter 3 of Colossians. I'm going to begin at verse 12. I'd rather, I want you to follow or read on the screen, but I want you to think about these words. Therefore, he tells us to put off the old man, putting on the new man. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness. What's the next word? I want you to know that I believe Christianity could take a new dose of humility. Meekness. It doesn't mean weakness. It means great strength under the control of a Holy Spirit. Long-suffering. How many of you know we're pretty short with each other? Aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> You can edit that off Facebook. Bearing with one another. How many of you love it when somebody gives you a second, third chance? I, I wasn't feeling well this morning. Had kind of a lot on my mind. Be back after eight weeks, so 
my wife, I was trying to hear something on television, and she just went to talking out loud and went in the kitchen and banged every pan and sack, and she could find. I couldn't hear anything. And then she finally walked up and said, about time to get ready, don't you think? And it just hit me so wrong. So give me some room. I'm in pain. I hadn't taken pain medicine for five days, and I'm just short-fused. Anybody here know anything about that? You can raise your hand for your mate. Yes, we see those hands. <laughs> Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, the word here is italicized, must means it's been inserted for clarity, but Paul didn't make this an option. He said, as Christ has forgiven you, so you also do. Get this done. Wow. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love. This means you put on love every day like you put on your clothes. Purposely, habitually, make this part of your life. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule. That word means umpire behind home plate. Let the peace of God umpire in your hearts. Not in your mind, not in your emotions, not in anything else. In your heart to which you were called into one body and be thankful. This next verse or two is what I want to speak on today. Let the Word of God, the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in praise and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What some powerful, powerful words of our Lord. How many of you think the Spirit meant what He said? I, I, I tried to title this the best I could, and Dave had to run it. He almost said, Pastor, I couldn't almost get the whole thing on the screen. Anyway, he made it. The practicality of being people of the Word. How many of you know we need to be people of this book? So follow with me and stay with the thought. Colossians has a powerful message for you today. Turn to somebody and say, this message is for you and me. This word was given to a church in Colossae, but it is practical for us today. Here's the message. The centrality and the preeminence of the all-sufficient Christ is necessary to the Christian life. Today in America and across the world, like the Colossians, we have lost our focus. We are engaged in the futile effort, as generations have in the time past. We are engaged in a futile effort to find meaning in our world by blending together religions of all sorts, of all kinds of expressions, of all kinds of belief. We're trying to, to mesh them into one ideology or philosophy and it is an age-long phenomenon known as syncretism. Taking part of this one and put it with this one and on and on and on. So that man and humanity in search for God can be comfortable as they can be. Although sincere, sincerely wrong. 
And human reasoning is so manipulated today by philosophy and by trickery and by emotion. Have you ever noticed today that every program seemed like to me, if we can just get somebody to cry about it, it's real. And I don't mean crying is not good. The idea that men shouldn't cry is not there. God wouldn't give us that ability. There's purposes for that. But don't let it be abused or prostituted. It's an age-long phenomenon, syncretism. Paul knew syncretism dilutes absolute truth. Don't forget that. All this blending together dilutes absolute truth. Syncretism's voice is heard today all over this world, especially in media and especially in noted so-called stars. It is expressed with this kind of concept. The word of syncretism today sounds like this. There are hundreds of ways to find God. All religions lead to the same ultimate place. That is syncretism. God has never accepted it. He never will. Let me take you to the Old Testament. When the Israelites finally got in obedience to God and went into the land of promise called Canaan, those people had built their houses. They had put little brass gods and little gold gods in their walls of their house. And when Israel went in, God said, I will show you leprosy on the walls. And if there's leprosy on the wall, you tear that down. You know what God was saying? I will not coexist with any other gods. And God has not changed his mind today. We're not going to pick a little of this and this and this and this and put it together so we're all happy and everybody's lovey-dovey and warm and fuzzy and everybody heaps of themselves, teachers having itching ears, exactly what Paul said to Timothy in the last days. Ladies and gentlemen, as a true preacher of the Word of God, we cannot afford syncretism in this generation. So that has effect upon us. It is not the Christian believer that has declared to the world that Christ is the only way. He said it like this. There is no other name given in heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, save the name of Jesus. It is not the Christian believer that said that. It is the only true God that declares there is one way. I have made a provision. He's my lamb from Genesis all the way to this eternity. You cannot seek God unless you come through the Christ, the Lamb. So don't listen to all this other stuff. Young people, stay off the internet with people that have anything other to say than the truth of this word. Paul draws us back to a correct focus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Listen, in verse 16 and 17, I just read it, I know. But he says this, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. And he talks about in Psalms and hymn and spiritual singing and do it all to the glory of our Christ. Wow. In the original language, this is a third person imperative. This is a third person speaking and it's imperative. As a matter of fact, in the original language, it is a imperative command. This is not a divine suggestion. You who herald the name of Christ, you who have come under the blood and the sanctifying power of the blood of Christ and the Spirit of God, in essence, he is saying, the Word must dwell in you richly. A strong statement. And Paul, let me just try to say it like this. He leaves us with that first word in that verse, let, 
He says, and you let the peace of God. The understood subject is you. In simple terms, Paul says, make this happen. Parents, you ought to see that this happens in your home. Amen. I want to point your direction to two words right quickly. The first word is dwell. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell in you. In the Greek, it's oikio. It means this. It means to take over the house. The word dwell means to take over the house with complete authority in every room. He is saying the word of Christ must so saturate every part of our lives as Christians that it has a governing control, a functioning control over the lives of twice-born men and women and young people. That's a powerful thing. You are no longer you own. You are bought with a price. It is God that lives in you. You're supposed to render yourself dead. And this governing power of the Word of God dwells in you so much, you behave under the power of God's Word. The second word is richly. It's plusios in the Greek. It means abounding, abundant extravagance. About a year and a half ago, my wife and I decided to downsize and we we sold our home and we built a much smaller home. And it's amazing how much furniture you get. And if you downsize, you don't, you you got another house to be filled. We built a house. It's adequate for us, much less house than we had, but it's adequate for our needs. I decided I wasn't going to heat and cool and insure that much house anymore. But I'm going to tell you something. If you were to look at my place and, Maybe perhaps yours. But if you drive from my house to Gallardia, you're going to see a difference. A big difference. For one thing, I don't live in a gated community. If you do, thank God, I guess. You see those ornate drives? You see that absolute fountains and statues? The tapestry outside and inside those homes are majestic. They are extravagant. They are abounding. And thank God for those people who have all that. I'm going to have mine in the next life to come. And it's going to make theirs look like theirs makes mine look now. If, if you, there's a big difference, you can just drive up and see. Oh, I mean, manicured lawns and beautiful <laughs> trees, excuse me. Paul is saying that the Word of Christ, let it dwell. It controls. And because it's richly there, he says it is, it, there is a rich, rich difference in how a Christian is supposed to appear in society. A rich difference in how you live your life. There is a rich difference in how and the decisions that you make and how you make them. The scriptures teaching us that you are not here just to respond without any control, without any responsibility. You're supposed to react like the Christ. It, it'll make a rich difference, he says, in your life, in how your life unfolds. How many want to be blessed and be successful? How many of you want to have a good life? This book is the purpose and the way. And Paul says, it manifests itself. And I only have two points today. Pastor, 
Martin and I talked about it today. He actually gave me permission to say I don't actually have to have three points every time. Thank you, Martin. (laughs) Watch this. It has two effects in our lives. Please listen. The Word-filled, the Word-saturated believer teaches and admonishes others in godly wisdom. It emanates out of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, young people of 2019, we need to examine ourselves in the Christian walk today. So let me get personal now. Does all I say when I speak, does does my life in its action, in my entire temperament, personality, my moods, my thoughts, and God forbid on media, is my life in word, action, temperament on media in my presence, is it saturated with, is it directed toward, is it truth filled toward the wisdom of God? And maybe not got quiet. Biblical wisdom. And listen, I, I found out God told James about biblical wisdom. Chapter 3 of James, verse 17. Listen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. It's not tainted by lies and and motivations of wicked, insidious people. It's pure. Then peaceable. Gentle. Willing to yield. Full of mercy and good fruits. Without partiality. If we spoke in our world today without partiality, we'd have a revival in America. And without hypocrisy. How many of you know that a hypocrisy is in the high courts of our world? The genuine truth, He gave it to us. Biblical wisdom. So let me say again, on the internet, while I'm texting, while I'm at the lunch table, while I'm praying or playing with friends, while I'm in conversation, regardless of where it is or the occasion, I will tell you this, across America, and I think probably most of the world, the world's talk is sarcastic. It's trash talk. Worldly talk has its manipulative abilities. Gossip abounds. It is negative. It is filled with criticism and selfishness as it rules in everything it says. I just want to declare to you, saints, if we are part of that, that is not admonishing our friends and fellow believers with the wisdom and the principles that the Lord has instructed us. Let me say to you today, as an oracle of God, stop it. It is not God Christian-like. And maybe could spell the word stop. And Paul said a word-saturated believer, whether we're 10 years old, 20 years old, or 80 years old, and plus, the word-saturated believer is inwardly joyful and thankful and humble and not selfish and not easily turned from this book because 
of the truth in us. And let me tell you something. Paul said it shows up in our singing. And let me just tell you what Paul has in mind with the Spirit when he says that. It's not just a show on Sunday when we sing and raise our hands. That's not what Paul... I believe in hymns and singing and all that. Here's what Paul's really saying. There is a demeanor about a genuine word-filled believer. He has, he, she has a demeanor of peace. They have a demeanor of joy. They are filled with integrity. They have a godly enthusiasm about them. And their works and their words and their actions and their deeds and everything about them glorifies the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Get this. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 18, let me get further down, in verses 18, listen, listen to this. I won't read it. Let me just, let me paraphrase it for you real quickly. He talks about this, this word saturated believer that it dwells and it dwells richly and he's simply saying this in the next verses. Here's something you can apply. A word saturation shows up in the common aspects of life. That means the word saturated wife will respect her godly husband. The word saturated husband will respect and love his wife sacrificially. The word saturated children will obey their parents. Say amen, young people. Pause parenthetically. I want to say it. Your parents put rules and restrictions and regulations on you not because they're trying to kill all the joy in their life. They're trying to raise you in a godly fashion and teach you hurts and pains and issues of life that they had to learn the hard way. They're trying to help you learn it through the ears and the eyes and the mind. Don't have to learn it through the nose. And maybe understand what I said. They're trying to help you, not hurt you. Nobody's on your side like a godly parent. Say amen, mom and dad. It means godly, saturated, word-saturated employees will obey their boss with righteous integrity as unto Christ Himself. Young people, mom and dad, those are the fruit of the Spirit. And that's how a word believer will live out their lives and the gospel and that's how they'll demonstrate it that he or she is truly born again and know God let me just put it this way if you do not you are not because he declares if you love me and you're in my family you will obey what I say Still love me? Let me describe, and I'll move on, what Paul is saying. The authentic Christian is distinctly different than this world. And I'll kiss your foot, so to speak. You have to know the Greek to know when I said that like that. I'll kiss your foot. It seems like we try to be like the world as much as possible. Young people, mom and dad, authentic Christianity is different. Here's Paul's description. He simply says this. 
When dealing with everyday problems of life, and while you're faced with having to find a solution for life, regardless of the circumstance, if we do not think of the solution to those problems, regardless of what they are, if we don't think of a solution to that problem in terms of truth and Scripture and God's will, not ours, we have just put ourselves in a danger of destruction. Let me read it to you. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. It is, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's imperative. If you want to know how to live and guarantee success, doesn't mean you won't go through some tough times, but be a word-saturated Godly man. So let me ask you a question. What biblical phrases, what scriptural passages flood into your mind when the following occurs? I'm purposely going to go slow because I want you to think. What comes into your mind as a, as a scripture or a biblical phrase or a truth in the following? When you become angry. When you're selfish. When you are tempted. What goes through your mind? What word saturated phrase or scripture comes into your spirit? When you face moral impurity. What scripture, what verse, what biblical passage comes into your mind during gossip? When you're enduring a test? What about obedience to authority? Can I remind you that this same book says that rebellion against authority is the same as the sin of witchcraft? And we're taught in the fabric of our whole world to rebel against any authority. I want to tell you, God's going to judge it. What do you think about? What comes into your spirit when it says, forgive others? You know what comes through most? Well, you just don't know what happened. God does. Well, Lord, you just don't understand. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. And you, you go, you know what we do instead of get to the Bible and have these phrases and our spirit-filled life put us into an obedient demeanor in our whole life. We Misery loves company. We won't go tell all our friends about it and get all the sympathy we can and not obey the Word of God. And we're sowing discord in our lives and among the brethren. Ooh-wee. How about when you're full of fear? What comes to your mind? How about, how about, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on me. 
Do not fear, I've overcome the world. I have not given you the spirit of fear, but the mind of love and power of a sound mind. A word-saturated believer. I've got to make one more. What comes into your mind and all that when you get worried? I don't know about you, but I have steps ordered of the Lord. Did I like going through surgery? Absolutely not. Did I want to go through? Absolutely not. Did I want all this pain? Absolutely not. But this much I will tell you. I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced beyond all doubt he will keep what I've committed to him against anything Satan brings to me in this life. All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, there are examples, common people, when they were in a test, under pressure, under temptation, under all kinds of leadership, under, under dictate, dictatory kings and tyrants, the misunderstood, oh, when they were misunderstood, when they were called to do God's will rather than their own. How did they respond? Look at the Old Testament. Look at all the New Testament. This book isn't boring. This book will tell you about life. For instance, I hope you're a spirit-filled, saturated, and word-saturated Christian. How did Stephen respond when they absolutely stoned him? And they did it, did it when he was innocent. How did Stephen respond when he was innocent, even though he died? How did Saul and, and uh, Paul and Silas, when they were beaten and left bloody and put in, in irons and stone and stocks in a prison, how did they respond? How did the crucified Christ respond when he was being beaten and bludgeoned and when he was hung on a cross and had steel driven in him? How did he respond? He literally said, God forgive them, they have no idea. You know why he said that? Because he had eternity in mind and he had you and me in mind. Our problem is we have self far much in two in mind 24-7. Amen. An old Peter, just an old fisherman. <laughs> Boy, look how he responded. Here's what they did. Here's what they did. They went into the Word that they knew, the Scripture that they knew, the promises that they knew, the Savior that they... John said, we touched Him, we saw Him, we felt Him, we looked into His eyes. Listen, they bowed in obedience to God. And think about Mary when she was called upon to be the mother of Christ, a little obscure, probably 14 to 15-year-old girl. Almost in a, in, a, in a slave kind of atmosphere of inner life, obscure, and the Holy Spirit came down of all the millions across this world. He spoke to her, and he said, you're going to bear the Son of God. Go read. Go read Luke 1. Go read the Magnificat. She said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. God has far more in mind in eternity than just the present for us. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. 
How many could say that? Listen to this little girl's soul. And holy is His name. And His mercy is on those who fear Him from generation to generation. And I could go on. Ladies and gentlemen, these are examples of how you and I are supposed to respond in our life because we're saturated with this Word. And this fussing and fighting and rebellion and rejection that we are so inundated with out of selfishness, let me just paint it clearly, is not a godly reaction. Question for 2019 is this. Are we, the body of Christ today, are we handling common problems like the world or with the indwelt word richly in us? Brings me to the second point I'll be through. Here's what the Spirit said. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. It simply means this secondly, you know God well. This book will acquaint you with God like nobody's business. You will know, listen, you, we, we all know what God has said about Himself. So that He is known by us well enough because we're Infused with this word, we know him well enough to the extent that we can predict his response. Did you know that God will always do what he said he would do? We know his promises. We know his character. So when problems come, when things get overwhelming, and Satan comes in like a flood, and when we're ensnared by the fowler, and on and on and on, we know this much, my God, who was before time and will be eternal, my God is totally sufficient for me. And regardless of the circumstance and our emotions and our, our tendencies in human being, I want to share with you, God is God, God is for me, God is trustworthy. And because He has my life in His hands and in His plans, I will obey. James 1, listen to this. James 1, I'm going to be reading at 19. Listen to the words. So then, my beloved brethren, how many of you want to be in that crowd? Let every man be swift to... Swift to what? And slow to speak. I, I'm not going to do this, but I'm just going to parenthetically suggest it. I will just tell you something my dad told me when I was about 14 years old. He said, son, you talk too much. He said, someday your talking is going to get you in trouble. How many of you know that dads probably know more than you do at 14? Do you know it's probably less than 60 days that came true? I had a girlfriend in church and I had said something. How many of you know my words got me in trouble? Will you take it out of love? Most of the time, a lot of times, we talk too much. There's a door I can get out back here. Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, hear me and I'm through. Listen to this. Listen, therefore, lay aside all filthiness 
and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Able to save your soul. Watch verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. I'm going to be as plain as I can. If we do not practice what I preach this morning, we're deceiving ourselves. You know what's wrong with the witness, Christian witness today in America? Let's just admit it. We're not really living it. You want to know why the world cries hypocrisy? It's because we have a great profession and possess very little of it. Pastor, you mean to tell me that the Lord expects me to live and respond like He responds? You got it. How many of us need some improvement? Come on, raise your hand. How many of you need some improvement? I read a scripture to the staff the other day. I, I try to read a proverb for wisdom every day, every week at staff meeting. I came across something. How many of you know that you can read this for ten lifetimes and you can learn something every day? It's amazing. It's a it's marvelous. I read something that has been in my spirit ever since. It said something like this. I could read it. I won't. I'll just try to sh- share it. It said that we are not we are not to be jealous of the world's riches. We are not to, we're not to seek after their fame and their fortune because our, this is not it. This, we're headed for another kingdom. This isn't our citizenship. Thank God. But it also went on to say something along this line. If you have an enemy and he's defeated, don't you gloat in that And don't you rejoice in your enemy's defeat. Lest his earned just reward because of your response displeases the Lord and the Lord puts the wrath he deserved on you. And I went, oh, wait a minute, Lord. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no. I just went. Let me tell you. It hit me with such a thunder. I went over that thing five or six times. I went to commentaries. I went to the original language. I took a lexicon. I, I did, and here's the whole thrust of it. I went, God, I gave my heart to you when I was five years old. And I have strived to live a Christian life all my life. And yet, God, after some 60 plus years of following you, No wonder some bad things happen in my life. I understand life and Satan comes, but I wonder if I've taken the wrath of some of my enemies because here's the problem. He's saying something like this. Don't you gloat in your enemy's failure because your motive might have been wrong. And you might be saying, you got what you deserved and God voted for me instead of you. And God said, that displeases me. I'll put His wrath in your life. I... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm still short-breathed on it. But I will tell you this, it made me realize that while I profess as a pastor and a man, a spiritual man, a godly man, I fail it so badly it's embarrassing. 
I don't have a watch. <laughs> but I want us to stand. I want us to say this. Say it with me. As a man or a woman. Say it with me as a man or a woman. Having been twice born, I realize the necessity of saturating my body, soul, and spirit with the eternal Word of God that it might command every room in me and dwell in me so richly that I actually respond and live in the likeness of my eternal Redeemer.